Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast from the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine and the AEM Education and Training Journal. I'm your host, Dr. Gita Pensa, and this is what we've got for you today. General emergency physicians provide most pediatric emergency care in the United States, and yet they report more challenges managing emergencies in children than in adults. Today we're discussing a new paper in AEM Education and Training entitled Perspectives on Preparedness for Pediatric Emergencies After Residency, a Needs Assessment. We have first author Dr. Eva Delgado to discuss it with us. Dr. Delgado is a pediatric emergency medicine physician and the Director of Emergency Medicine Resident Education at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, as well as Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics at the Perelman School of Medicine. She directs a semi-annual joint conference in pediatric emergency medicine and emergency medicine between CHOP and the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, serves as co-director of the procedure fair at her division's national annual CME conference, and directs an annual one-day PEM boot camp for area EM residents just prior to graduation. Lastly, she is her division's well-being leader, and she has a mission to support work-life integration among her colleagues and mentees. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the publisher for a limited time. Dr. Delgado, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So you are a pediatric emergency medicine specialist, and as such, you are very comfortable with handling pediatric emergencies. Uh, But it turns out that most pediatric emergencies are not actually handled by pediatric emergency medicine specialists. Is that fair to say? Yes, Gita, you're totally correct. About 85% of pediatric emergency care in the U.S. happens in general emergency departments and not in pediatric EDs with pediatric EM specialists like myself. And the comfort level of general EM physicians for pediatric emergencies according to prior studies, is less than for adult emergencies. Pediatric arrest and caring for infants are two of the top identified most challenging situations reported by first-year attendings, and some other studies have reported lower preparedness for younger ages in EM providers in practice. Okay. Okay. Um, So the ACGME now does emphasize pediatric training, and uh, the most current Emergency Medicine Residency Review Committee indicates that 20% of all residency emergency department encounters must be pediatric, which sounds, when I think about what, (laughs) when I think about what is probably happening in reality, that does not actually sound consistent with um, the experience. I am just, I have the sense. Do we know how well training programs are meeting that goal? I think we do. I think that we know that it is a pretty tough goal to meet as you surmise. I think the challenge with this mandate of 20% is that it reflects time spent, but not volume or exposure, because no one can mandate or control either of those things, right? So since ED volume and case mix is variable, pediatric volume and case type seen by the individual EM trainee is going to be vastly different. Uh, There was even a study recently that showed that about half of EM trainees are missing out on diagnoses felt to be essential by the American Board of Emergency Medicine's model of clinical practice. So that means that EM residents are unlikely to encounter the full spectrum of pediatric conditions and ages that are recommended for training. So to me, it's not at all surprising that practicing EM physicians feel uncomfortable with kids because they can't possibly see enough during training to feel prepared. Right. And so what specific question were you hoping to answer with your study? 
I think the easiest answer to this is to say that we really wanted the perspectives of the learners. The need for attention to PEM-specific content or exposure and EM residency training is pretty well known. There's many recommendations about what needs to be added. My team and I were interested in getting more of the learner's perspective. So what do they want out of their education? What do they need? So we sought to survey senior EM residents and recent graduates to assess their perceived level of preparedness to manage pediatric emergencies Mm -hmm. because we felt that the input of those closer to training would be really helpful to better inform future PEM curricula for EM residency training programs. Okay. I mean... I worked for many, many years in a community emergency department. And of course, in community emergency departments, we see kids and I don't have any special pediatric training. Um, And I was a nocturnist. And so once in a while, a true pediatric emergency would come in. And I, uh, I will say like, those were the most terrifying experiences of my attending career. Um, Actually, I, I feel like I had had a lot of peds time um, and I think it's still fair to say that I was still really, really, really frightened, frightened. So um, especially as a new graduate. So I think this question of perceived preparedness is very interesting. So tell me a little bit about how you developed your survey. Oh, survey development took a very long time. Uh, The first step was building a team of people with a variety of perspectives themselves. So you spoke about your training experience. I trained first as a pediatrician, and then I did pediatric emergency medicine fellowship. And I was very wary coming into this as the team PI that I did not want to just guess at what an EM resident might want me to ask. So I worked pretty hard to build a big group of folks that we called the PEM and EM work group. And we had PEM physicians, EM physicians, a nurse sim educator. And then together, we honestly combed through the American Board of Emergency Medicine model of clinical practice Mm -hmm. with a highlighter. And we (laughs) highlighted topic areas that matched up with content that was deemed important by other expert panels and content seen as challenging to new EM attendings. And then, of course, we discussed amongst ourselves. And we settled on 42 different pediatric emergencies and procedures that we wanted to ask about. Mm -hmm. And we used a five-point Likert scale of preparedness that was derived from previously used scales. So one was extremely unprepared two was unprepared, three was neutral, and so on. And we revised this thing so many times. I think I've honestly lost count. (laughs) We presented the concept at a regional meeting. We pilot tested with EM physicians in academia and in the community. We pilot tested it with residents, with pediatric emergency physicians. And finally, we came to our final version. All right. So you broke it up. in the survey, you were you were asking questions broken up by age group, so infant, toddler, children over four, um, and you asked about preparedness to address a myriad of, of emergency conditions, like everything from cardiac arrest and sexual assault to fever and fractures. So um, tell us a little bit more about your study design and who, who were the recipients then of the survey? So it was really important to us to ask about each emergency condition by age. And I think that was a really unique thing with this study design. Most prior studies that I had read really asked about comfort with age ranges or with certain emergencies, but not both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about it conceptually, I think it is totally possible that one of us might feel prepared to manage a given condition in one age group, but not in another. And I think if you think about that, that that kind of jives. So we asked about perceived preparedness on that scale of one to five for each condition, but three separate times. So once for infants, once for toddlers, and once for kids over four. There were some exceptions to those age groups. So we didn't ask people how they felt about asking infants and adolescent 
confidential history because that doesn't make sense. Um, but that's pretty much what we stuck with. Um, and we decided to distribute it electronically using Qualtrics software, specifically in the spring. So we did this in spring of 2021 because we wanted to catch senior residents right before they graduated. So they have most of their EM residency done. And then we also wanted to catch our recent graduates on the anniversary of their first one to two years in practice. And we recruited participants who trained in the eight different EM residency programs that rotated at our pediatric ED during training. And we gave them a couple of months to do the survey, made sure they knew that it was anonymous. And of course, giving them $20 Amazon gift cards is always a nice way to get a good response rate. Never hurts. <laughs> Never hurts. Um, okay. So of the 242 eligible respondents, you received 129 responses. So um, first, tell us a little bit about the demographics of the respondents. Yeah, so we ended up with a 53% response rate, which I was pretty happy with. We had a higher response rate from senior residents than from graduates, but overall, both groups were pretty well represented in the cohort. The response rate was pretty similar across three-year, four-year, and combined programs. And there were responses from all eight EM residency programs included in the study, which was really important for our generalizability because each of these are pretty diverse in terms of training duration, size, setting, and characteristics of their pediatric experience and exposure. So for example, four of these programs are urban academic, one is community academic, three are community programs, but two of those are, are combined programs. So one is EM plus internal medicine, one is EM plus family medicine. And while all of these programs rotated through my pediatric ED at an academic center, most of these programs also had further exposure to pediatrics elsewhere. So really trying to get a, a good representation, a good perspective of the EM residency training landscape in terms of how they feel about their pediatric preparedness. Okay, so let's talk about some results. Um, what did you find regarding perceived preparedness in this group? Um, and it doesn't really surprise me that infant conditions were low on the perceived preparedness spectrum, but um, but this was more significant in some conditions than others, it seems like. Yes, this is absolutely correct. And this gets at the level of detail that we were really going for when we conceptualized the study. First, I should just take one second to explain um, that we focused on the rankings of one or two on the Likert scale because that represents extremely unprepared and unprepared when we looked at the data because we wanted to know where to potentially intervene with future curricular recommendations. So we wanted to know what is the proportion of respondents who are responding with a one or a two on that ranking scale for a given condition because that means they're unprepared for it. So interestingly, for some emergency conditions like congenital heart disease, in Bernier's metabolism, hematuria, and jaundice, there was little difference in perceived preparedness across ages, but most respondents felt unprepared to manage congenital heart disease or emergencies related to in Bernier's metabolism. And that totally makes sense to me because I think I also feel not completely prepared to manage emergencies in those two things. <laughs> but as you know, more respondents were unprepared to manage emergency conditions in infants, and we expected that. But for some conditions, there was a noticeably higher proportion of respondents who felt unprepared for that emergency in infants compared to other age groups. So a couple examples are things like sickle cell crisis, seizures, DKA, we really suspect that the reason for this is that the infant presentation and probably the management of these conditions differs more from adults and older children. So the chief complaint might be less obvious. The diagnosis is harder to make. Management considerations are different, et cetera. And so to just illustrate all this granular data a little bit better, we, we did make a couple of heat maps to illustrate for the, for the reader some of these nuanced findings. Fantastic. Okay. What about uh, procedural 
perceived preparedness? So we asked about procedures in two different ways. For some procedures, like management of impending respiratory failure with either non-invasive ventilation or intubation, we asked about that uh, perceived preparedness by age uh, because we felt that that, like the other emergency conditions, might possibly vary in terms of preparedness by age. For other procedures like gastrostomy tube replacement, we just ask respondents to rank perceived preparedness for the procedure itself from one to five. And as one might expect, a higher proportion uh, reported feeling unprepared for impending respiratory failure, PALS algorithms, so pediatric advanced life support, and EKG interpretation in infants compared to other ages. Um, That kind of fits Mm -hmm. with the other things that we saw. And then for the other procedures, those that we did not think were really going to vary by age, overall, it seems that most of the respondents felt pretty well prepared. 16% did report feeling unprepared for G-tube replacement, but only 5% were unprepared for intraosseous needle insertion, 5% unprepared for nursemaids. So overall, they seem to be pretty well prepared for the other procedures. How about how training during COVID uh, appeared to affect their perceived preparedness? Oh, COVID. COVID affected everything. And to be honest, I almost abandoned this entire project during COVID because I didn't think that uh, it was even something that would make sense. But of course, I'm really glad I didn't because I think that doing this during COVID probably taught us something, Mm. Uh, but it took a little bit of work to get at what that lesson (laughs) might be. So we purposely included the class of 2019 since their training was not impacted by COVID, which arrived in the U.S. in 2020. But then, you know, the 50% drop in pediatric ED volume the following year probably did impact their experience as practicing clinicians. So you would think there might be some fallout in their responses to this survey. But still, when you look separately at the respondents who graduated in 2020, there's still a higher proportion who reported feeling unprepared to manage infants, as well as a couple of other conditions compared to the other groups. But what was most interesting to me is that this pattern didn't persist. So even though pediatric volume remained low for the year after that, the proportion of senior residents from the class of 2021 who reported that they felt unprepared was lower than those in the class of 2020. So one could say that's because they're residents. They haven't been out in the world yet. They don't know what they don't know. That's probably true. <laughs> but it also might be a sign that perceived preparedness is not just related to exposure. So at our institution and at the residency programs in the study, we pretty much stopped most of our virtual and in-person teaching when COVID first hit. There was just too much going on. But then we picked it up in the summer of 2020 after the class of 2020 had graduated. And that maybe gave that class of 2021 a little bit of a greater sense of preparedness despite lower pediatric volumes. We're never going to know the answer, but I think COVID reminded us that we can't control ED volume ever, but we can aim for sufficient exposure and we can focus more of our efforts on filling gaps with carefully targeted educational interventions. Fantastic. All right. Well, what do you think we should take away from these results? I think there's a few key points from this study. I mean, first, as we discussed at the outset, most children in the U.S. present to general EM physicians for emergency care. So training EM physicians to manage pediatric emergencies is extremely important. But guaranteeing that these trainees are going to be exposed to all that they need to see in residency is impossible, global global pandemic or not. So it makes sense that some percentage of these physicians will feel unprepared to manage some pediatric conditions and ages. But if we've learned anything as educators in the aftermath of COVID, when kids stopped coming in for care, we learned to teach about what we were not seeing. And we need to expand on this for the EM learner to fill the gaps identified by the learners in this study. So what are those gaps? I think from these results, we suggest that our EM trainees need more supplemental education on infant emergencies, 
which is not surprising as a recommendation given the many prior studies showing that infants are a particular challenge for the EM physicians. But these trainees also need education about all age groups with inborn errors of metabolism and congenital heart disease-related emergencies. And we need to bolster EM physician preparedness for those highest stakes scenarios. So some of the things that popped up in our heat maps were things like major trauma, impending respiratory failure, and those pediatric advanced life support algorithms, especially when we're talking about infants. And then looking at the heat maps a little bit to provide a more targeted teaching to conditions and ages that need a little bit more attention would help. Mm. All right. So what are you hoping to see come next? I think I've already experienced a little bit of the future, which is kind of cool. <laughs> as soon as we ha- as soon as we finished analyzing our data, we immediately got to work on building a just-in-time EM senior resident PEM boot camp. So oh, it's a one-day nice. simulation and hands-on heavy course. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a one-day simulation and hands-on heavy course in PEM just before graduation that we opened up to all of our EM residents from all of the programs that rotated our hospital. We then repeated this boot camp again last year with a threefold increase in attendance. We are surveying participants after each session to iteratively revise content. And I mean, I will host this for as long as EM seniors keep coming mm-hmm. because so far they're telling us that they feel more prepared after the boot camp is over. Yeah. But, you know, my personal hope is that the needs assessment we publish can help other educator groups create their own boot camps so that this becomes something that several sites throughout our region are doing and several sites throughout the country, because then I think we could really improve perceived uh, pediatric preparedness more widely. And I would gladly collaborate with others on this. I'd also welcome others to conduct similar surveys to help validate these findings at other sites. At the end of the day, right, we all want to somehow impact education in a way that results in lives saved. Not that I could ever prove that. Um, but if we are actually effective in preparing these uh, these trainees a little bit better in terms of managing children, that's huge because these are kids who have their whole lives ahead of them. So you can't prove it, but I think we know it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for your work and for coming. Um, and I can't wait to see more about that. Thank you so much for having me, Gita. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal for a limited time. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.